We've all been part of a family, uh, or we wouldn't be here. Maybe, maybe a small family could have been as few people as uh, a parent and you, or it could have been a large family. I think uh, Jenny Austin was saying today that she came from a family with nine children in her family. And uh, so I don't, somewhere in between, we, we fit. Um, we've witnessed probably a, a young sibling coming along in our family. And uh, some of us have had children. We remember those days. Very few of us probably got to know anything about those children before they came along. Possibly through some, um, I don't know what they do nowadays, x-rays. We could have found out some medical conditions ahead of time, but um, none of us would have known anything about what they were gonna do vocationally, what they were gonna be like in their personalities. We sort of had to wait on that. And, uh, but do you know when Jesus came, Um, We knew a lot about him before he he even showed up. The prophets had been telling the story of Jesus for hundreds of years. And so when he hit the ground, so to speak, um, we knew a lot about him. Things that haven't happened yet that will happen in the future. And uh, that's exciting. I love the stories from the prophets about Jesus at this time of year. Most of the things that they say about him are not so much about his birth, but about what his life will be eventually, even future to us today. And that's the case with this first scripture that I'd like for you to look at today. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And uh, I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me. Um, When you read out loud, Um, If you come to a verse or to a word that you don't know how to pronounce, just sneeze at that point, and you'll kind of get by that word, and everything will be okay. So let's read together out loud. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That would have been a good time to sneeze. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way by the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Let's stop for a minute. That's sort of a strange introduction. Let me tell you what happened there. The reason the prophet was speaking that way about that part of Israel, that was the northern part of Israel, was that during the um, invasion of of the Assyrian army into Israel, the northern part of Israel really took it on the chin. They they were decimated. And so the prophet, I think, is referring to that that horrible time. You know, just like today, we're grieving about what happened in Kentucky and some of the places where the tornado came through and dozens and dozens of people were killed and, and lives just turned upside down. And you think about what it takes to rebuild from a time like that. Think of Joplin a few years ago and what they went through. Well, that would be the case of a part of a country that had been devastated by war. And so um, the prophet is saying, you know, it was tough there, but it's going to be better. And uh, here's here's the good news. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way by the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now let's read together, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, read out loud with me, okay? 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light shone. The next verse. For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So I'd like for you to go back with me to a few verses. And let's go back to verse 2, first of all. So in verse 2, it talks about these people that are living in a, it's not really a dark land, but it seems dark because they've been devastated. He's saying that light is going to shine on you. Why is that? Because Jesus lived in the region of Galilee. He lived in that northern part of Israel. And so, in a sense, they had light shining where they lived. And light is, has been typical of Jesus all throughout Scripture. Um, his presence is depicted as light. And him coming is depicted sometimes even as the sun shining. There's a really neat passage in Malachi chapter 4 that talks about the sun of righteousness will rise on you with healing in its wings. It's kind of a really symbolic way of saying that Jesus is going to shine like the sun on people that are looking for him and people that love him and follow him. Well, uh, the next verse is very important to us today, and and it's the one in verse 6. I'd like for us to look at that for just a minute. So, To us, a child is born, and we get a little bit of idea of this kind of person. This is a prophecy about Jesus hundreds of years before he ever lived. How would anyone know this? The only answer to that is that God revealed it to the prophet Isaiah. And he said that this son, that the government would be on his shoulder, and the the assumption is it's the government of Israel would be on the shoulders of this this son that was to be born. And then he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. It's like, oh boy, these terms are, they're too big for just a human being. This is more than a human being. And you're right, This this is God's son. That's why these things could be said about him. And this last phrase, that he would be the Prince of Peace. And so Jesus has this title as the Prince of Peace. That says to me that if you want to know about peace, you'll go to Jesus. You'll you'll talk to him. You'll find out what he has to say about peace. And notice in verse 7, it even talks about his peace increasing. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Now, Jesus has never led a government yet in a, in a physical sense. We believe that he's Lord of all, and as Lord of all, he, he really does lead in a sense. But physically present, leading government, that's not happened yet, but it's going to. One day, he's going to rule the world. He's going to rule the earth in the new heavens and the new earth. And of that government and 
peace, there's going to be no end. In fact, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So peace is going to increase under Jesus. It's here now. Whenever somebody gives their heart to Jesus, he rules in their heart. And there's, there's government happening, sort of. But can you imagine when he's the president of the world, when he's the king of the world, when everything is done according to his will, where he's the light of the world, that's going to be an amazing time. And in that time, his peace is just going to increase and it's just going to get more. Well, if you were to ask the average person on the street to rank words by how they made them feel, how would most people rank the word strength? And how would most people rank the word peace? I'm a guy. Some, some other guys in here, I, I would say probably 90% of us, we would rank strength above peace, right? Because strength is strong, it gets things done, and it, it wins battles, and it beats up bad guys, and that's what we want, strength. What about peace? Mm, sounds kind of weak. I mean, yeah, it's quiet, and, yeah, but... I prefer strength, actually. Well, Jesus wasn't declared the prince of strength, even though he's strong. He was declared the prince of peace. And so if we have a negative view of peace, we might want to change our view because he's the prince of peace and he's going to rule. There's... There's two kinds of peace. I I just have to say this. When I was growing up, we used to ask my dad at Christmas time, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? He would never give us a good answer. In fact, every year when we had asked that, he'd say, I'd like a pair of socks and I'd like peace. When it came to his birthday, Dad, what do you want for your birthday? Oh, I'd like peace and a pair of socks. So my dad might have been onto something. He's in heaven now, so I can't really go deeper into his whole Christmas and birthday wish list, but I think he might have been on to something. Peace is worth having. You know, there's two kinds of peace. There's inner peace, which is something that many of us experience when we come to know Jesus as our Savior. The best way I can describe inner peace is um, through, a, through a story that many of us are familiar with. You remember that when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee, um, probably on numerous occasions with his disciples, and many of them were fishermen, and so they, they were in boats. But on this one occasion, they were in a boat, and a storm came up on the lake. And it was so severe that the disciples believed that they were going to die. And these were seasoned fishermen who were used to winds and storms and lakes. And I understand that probably the, the uh, typical fishing boat of that time would have been about 27 feet long and maybe about 7 feet wide. Um, if the sail wasn't being used, it could be rowed by four people. 
Um, now, that's a, a boat like that has been found and, and dated back to the time of Jesus. And uh, so you can just imagine. So there was no lower deck. And in a storm, do you remember what Jesus was doing in that storm? Was he rowing or bailing water? What was he doing? He was sleeping. How could you do that? Everybody else is afraid of their life, for their lives, and he's sleeping? And he's not even under the deck. Somehow he's up on, on deck. I mean, there is no lower deck. It's all right there. But he's sleeping. That's peace. That's peace. It's when you're in the midst of everything that's not peace, and you somehow can rest. That's peace. I think we, I want that. Maybe that's what my dad was after. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted us kids to quit screaming and yelling. That was probably more like it. Isaiah 26.3 says this, and if you'd bring that scripture up, great. It says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We need that. We need to keep our minds stayed on Jesus. And uh, as we do that, as we keep our minds fixed on him, there's a peace that comes over us because we realize who he is. He's the mighty God. He, he controls the winds and the waves. He speaks to the waves and says, peace, be still, and it happens. And uh, so as we keep our minds on him, he keeps us in perfect peace. Here's another thing that we can do to help the, the inner peace in our lives, and it's found in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the next verse, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so uh, by praying, God's peace comes to our lives. Have you ever tried that? The, the thing that you... You want to do the least when you're really agitated is to pray. Am I right? You want to clean somebody's clock or you want to do something, but you don't want to pray. And that's what we need to do when things are really tense and when we can't figure out what to do. We need to pray and go to God and say, mm, God, I am just so wound up right now. I want to beat somebody up. I want to go clean the house or I want to break it down or do this or that. And what I need to do is go to God and say, God, here's what I'm facing. Here's what I'm feeling. And then experience his peace coming into our lives and helping us, giving us direction. So those are a couple of things that we can do to, um, to have inner peace. But there's more than inner peace. Jesus is the prince of peace, but he's not just the prince of our inner well-being. That's good. That's important. I wish everyone knew Jesus and could experience these kinds of peace that we've talked about today by being focused on him and by praying. But he's, he's taught us a lot about outer peace. That is, having peace 
with other people. I'd like you to consider a couple of things that Jesus said. Let's go first to Mark 9, verse 50. Jesus said this, and the first part of this may confuse us a little bit. We'll talk about it once we've read it, but it goes like this. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I just think that Jesus was kind of moving a little ahead of his listeners and saying some things maybe they didn't fully grasp, but as they thought about it later, they might have caught it. He's a lot like that. If you, have you ever noticed how he does the parables? At first you don't get it, and then you think about it for a while, and the light starts to come on, and you think about it some more, and it comes on a little more. And uh, this is one of those things. So salt, back then, was used to preserve food. They didn't have refrigerators. And so salt was used to preserve food, particularly meat. And I think Jesus was saying, if you want to keep a relationship together, preserve it. You're going to need to be at peace with one another. That's the key for relationships, um, surviving and and, uh, being together. And uh, so he was, Jesus was committed to this idea of peace with one another. Look at another scripture, Matthew 5, 9. Did you ever memorize the Beatitudes, anybody? Do you know what a Beatitude is? (laughs) It's uh, a blessed, Jesus said, Blessed are these people. And when he said that, um, he wasn't just saying, he was saying that, I, I think he was saying that, yeah, there would be a blessing coming from God to people who had these qualities, but I think there was an inherent blessing that would come. There was a, an inherent happiness and, and uh, benefit to people who had these qualities, and here it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So first of all, if you're a peacemaker, there's an inherent blessing in that. You know what the blessing is? You're going to be a person who gets along well with a lot of people, and that's a good thing. Now, maybe you don't like that. I had a friend once who really enjoyed making people upset. And that was just his bent in life. I I don't fully understand that, but um, that was him. Um, But if if you want good relationships and you're a peacemaker, wow, there's an inherent blessing in that quality. But the, the thing that is important for us today is that Jesus identified peacemakers in such a way that they would they would set the bar for children of God. In other words, if you're a peacemaker, people are going to know that you're a believer. If you're a peacemaker, they're going to know that you're a Christian. Remember what he said on the night that he was betrayed? He said, I'm going to give you a new command. Do you remember what it was? Love one another. That was it. New command. And then he said, by this, everyone's going to know that you're my disciple. 
So here's two, two ways that people are going to know. They're going to know by your love for one another, that means within the body of Christ, and for being a peacemaker. How many times do Christians get known for how they fight? <laughs> do you ever hear about a church that fights all the time and they split and people, that church has a reputation as a fighting church? I hate, I'm going to say it, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. When I was growing up, there was a church in our community. One night after Sunday night church, they had, literally had, a fist fight brawl in the parking lot. Had to call the police. This is in a church after Sunday night service. I'm not going to name the community or the church, but... um, That's sad. That should never be, you know. Um, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be known as children of God. What does Paul say about peacemaking? Every single letter that he wrote to a church, he mentioned peace as something he wanted them to have. Let's look at one example. You You can check that out when you go home. Just begin each book. First few verses, you'll see a greeting, and it will always say something like this. Look at the second paragraph that's up there on the screen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think Paul wanted there to be peace in the churches that he wrote to? (laughs) Absolutely. And he wanted God's grace to abound there too. So he wanted these things so much that he began every letter with these two words, grace and peace. And then he taught about it. And we don't have time to go into all of his teachings, but here's one that I think is so powerful. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So he was telling uh, this These people in Ephesus, and this letter actually went to many other churches as well. It was kind of a letter that got passed around. He said, make every effort in your church to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's going to be an important thing for for churches. And he taught that. We're uh, reading through the Bible right now in our home, and, and we're in the epistle section. And it seems that every epistle of Paul's deals with this whole thing of unity and peace. It's important to God and it's important to his kingdom. Another thing that you'll notice about Paul is that he often ended his letters with a, um, a wish for peace for the people that he was writing to. And uh, let's look at one example, Romans 15.33. In closing his letter to the Romans, he says, the God of peace be with you all. Notice how he identified God. He could have used all kinds of descriptions for God. He could have said the God of healing. He could have said the God of strength, kind of the word that most guys like, strength. But he said the God of peace be with you all. He identifies God as the God of peace. So Jesus is the Prince of peace. God is the God of peace. Should we be concerned with peace in our church, in our relationships? Absolutely. 
Now, just a little disclaimer. There is a passage when, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus said, I didn't come to bring, bring peace, I came to bring a sword. You say, aha, contradiction in the Bible. <clears throat> it's not really a contradiction. If you look at the context, what he's saying is that sometimes when you, when you begin to follow Christ, people will oppose you because they, they will not want to follow Christ and they hate everything about him. And so when you take on Christ as your savior, some people are going to hate you and it'll bring a sword. Sometimes a family member will have a sword out and they'll be jabbing at you because they don't like this newfound faith that you have. That's what Jesus meant. Not a contradiction. Well, the Psalms also speak about peace. And I'd like for us to look at Psalm 133. Would you read this with me out loud? Let's do that right now. I just, I want to, I want it to really get into our spirits. So say it out loud with me. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Okay, let's go back and and just unpack this for a few minutes. Verse one, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then he gives um, some comparisons. And the first one is the example of the anointing of the high priest. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. And um, when he was um, inaugurated as high priest, what they did, they They put on special clothes on him. He had special robes and special uh, things that he wore when he functioned as the high priest. But in that first time when he was inaugurated, they took oil and they poured it over his head. When we anoint with oil, we usually take a little tiny bottle and put a little speck on our finger and touch it on our heads. Back then, that was not the case. They took a whole horn that was hollowed out, filled it with oil, olive oil, and they dumped it on his head. And it made his hair totally greasy down to his beard and it ran onto his clothes and it just saturated him with oil. But the symbolism was that the oil represented the Holy Spirit. And God fully... um, expected that Aaron would act with with supernatural power because he had been anointed. He would be a different man. He would act differently because of that anointing. David was also anointed in that fashion. We can read about it in 1 Samuel. Um, As just a young boy, he was anointed with oil. And the same thing, it was a lot of it. You know, it just drenched him. And... The scripture says that after that anointing, he became a different man. There was things about him that he could do that he couldn't have done otherwise. And that's that's a picture of what happens in a church 
when there's unity, it's like being anointed not only with oil, but being anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to work in ways that would never be possible if there was not unity. There's a special anointing that comes to a church that has unity. Another beautiful picture is in verse 3. And it says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Well, Hermon is a large, tall mountain in the area of Israel, up in the north. And if you know anything about tall mountains, there's a lot more moisture up there. And the dew is going to be much stronger up there because the, you're closer to the clouds and it's colder as you get higher. And so the dew would be thick on Mount Hermon. Whereas on Mount Zion, which is a smaller mountain, not as much. And it's just saying that if there's unity in the church, you might not expect that church to be very strong. But guess again. It'll be out of character. There'll be greater strength than you could ever imagine. Almost like Mount Zion getting the same amount of dew as Mount Hermon. Because anointing comes to a group of people who are united in Christ. Peace is important. Not only inwardly, but outwardly in our relationships with each other. I want to tell you about a friend of mine who uh, I worked with in a church, uh, the church that we uh, came from when we moved to Springfield. It was in Montana. And uh, I, was a, I was a music pastor in the church for most of the time that I was there. And the, the bass player on our worship team was a guy that really liked music that appealed to young people. So everything that he liked and, and wanted us to do as a worship team was, let's make it friendly for young people. And I kind of agreed with that, but I found that uh, we disagreed on a lot of other things. Uh, if I thought a song should go fast, he thought it should go slow. If I thought the song should be loud, he thought it should be soft. We could just never agree on musical style. And we found ourselves just rubbing and, and uh, always disagreeing. I remember our greatest disagreement came as we were preparing for Easter Sunday one year. I mean, of all times, you would just think that somehow God would protect us from that kind of a disagreement right before Easter Sunday when you want things to be just the best and you want to be united and all of that. But it didn't happen. The two of us went to the mat over how we were going to do a particular song on Easter Sunday. I am embarrassed to say. And because I was a music pastor, I demanded my way. And we played it my way, which was faster. He thought it should be slower. And because his bass licks were so intricate, he couldn't play. I didn't realize that. I thought he was just being mean. So he stood there while the rest of us played the song. That next week, he called me and said, I'm, 
it's just not working out for me to be part of the team. We just, we just don't seem to be able to work together. And so I, I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be leaving. So he, he sat in the congregation for a few months and then finally didn't see him anymore. And lost track of him for several, quite a few years. One day I was in the hospital and uh, had been seeing somebody and a friend of mine came up and saw me there and said, hey, are you aware that Bill was upstairs in 232? I don't remember the exact number, but it was upstairs somewhere. And uh, I said, oh, really? What's, what's wrong? And he said, well, he has colon cancer and it's really bad. And something kind of hit me in the gut. And I knew I had to go up there, and I did. But have you ever had your whole life kind of come before you in just an instant, and you, you've, you've seen your sins, and you knew what you needed to do, and everything just in an instant? That's what happened to me when I heard that announcement. I was immediately convicted of my pettiness in fighting over how fast or slow we did a song or how loud or how soft and going to the mat over it and letting it be something that would cause a break in our relationship. So I went upstairs. And I'm, I'm feeling the same emotions right now that I felt as I walked into the room. And the thing that came out of my mouth was, Bill, I'm so sorry for what happened to us. And I began to weep. Well, he had, he had evidently dealt with this long before because he didn't know I was coming, but he was totally fine. And he said, hey, I've forgotten that years ago. You've forgiven me. And he reiterated that to me. He said, hey, I forgive you. Don't even think about that. He called me over to his bedside. And he started talking about going to heaven. And uh, he got released because they couldn't do any more for him and was sent home and he got to live there for a couple of weeks before he passed. And I remember going out a couple of times to his house, lived halfway up a mountain somewhere and uh, sitting with him, talking about the Lord. You see, we had so much in common. He loved the Lord. I loved the Lord. But we let this stupid little thing about music get between us. It was just dumb. I'm so glad for his graciousness, his forgiveness. I've met other Bills since then. I hope I've learned a lesson that it's not about how we do something. It's not about the style of a song that matters. It's about our Savior. And that there is a special 
anointing that comes when brothers and sisters live together in peace and in unity. I hope that Evangel Temple will never stoop to what I stooped to back then. I hope that we'll stay above all of that. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when it comes to what's really important, that's all that matters is him. Okay? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer and worship team if you'd come on up?